Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod, Israel Policy Forum's podcast. I'm your host, Evan Gottesman, Associate Director of Policy and Communications at Israel Policy Forum. And joining us on the line from Israel is Eli Koaz, our Communications Director. Hi, Evan. Good to be with you. Hi, Eli. How's it going? No, it's 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 going well, uh, but it's been a difficult week uh, here and a particularly a difficult day with uh, the terror attack uh, that happened uh, near the uh, the settlement of uh, Ofra in the West Bank. And, and today, today's attack uh, comes on the heels of of several other attacks and incidents. There, there was uh, one just a couple days ago in, in the same area of the West Bank. Uh, where uh, several Israelis were shot and uh, a pregnant woman was shot and her baby just died uh, yesterday. Yeah, that was incredibly uh, tragic. Uh, a uh, pregnant woman was shot and her baby was was delivered uh, uh, in the hospital because of her injuries and uh, doctors really uh tried on night and day to uh to save the uh the baby but after four days uh uh the baby passed away um so really really heartbreaking news um but this yeah uh, the, it's the reality in uh in the west bank today unfortunately it would seem to challenge this perception of the west bank as being uh quiet um especially you know people like to juxtapose the west bank with the Gaza Strip, the, with Gaza as being more volatile and the West Bank being quiet, but that this string of events is certainly not quiet. Definitely, um, I mean Gaza. I mean, no, no Israelis live there, as uh, as we both know. Uh, uh, all the settlements were evacuated in two thousand and five, um, so the threat from Gaza is is a. Uh, it's 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 via, via rockets or, or tunnels or and it's it's much easier for Israel to to, to contain uh, to contain that threat uh, in the West Bank, despite the security cooperation which exists between the Palestinian Authority security forces, uh, known as the PASIF and the IDF. Um, there has been a trend that started a few years ago, but it's increasing now of lone wolf attacks um, that are hard to control. And as uh, the head of the Shin Bet said a few weeks ago, uh, over 400 uh, attacks from the West Bank have been thwarted in the past year. So, I mean, uh, this... And there there were also a spike in, in attacks, uh, according to the Shin Bet, after the uh, Jerusalem embassy announcement, which, you know, a lot of terrorists had used as a pretext. Yeah, 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 and also with 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 the with the Temple Mount uh, riots and all, all those kind of uh, there are specific events that kind of uh, they fuel. Uh, they, they they get used as a as a pretext or an excuse to commit more attacks. Exactly, um, and I still think that I mean, obviously, I think the security cooperation is is super important and really. Uh, I wouldn't want to see the reality in the West Bank without it. Um, but yeah, these these attacks of the past week have been uh, uh, devastating. And uh, another uh, another thing that makes the threat in the West Bank different, or, or the situation there different, is that because you still have um, settlements in the West Bank, 
as opposed to in Gaza, a lot of these attacks and a lot of the incidents occur sort of at these points of friction, these seam zones between settlements and uh, Palestinian areas. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because um, it's much harder, obviously, for for any Palestinian who wants to commit an attack to uh, sneak into like a settlement. Uh, it's obviously happened. Uh, there have been a bunch of devastating uh, attacks from, with the, the Fogel family and all, all to, but, but, but those are more rare. It's uh, a lot of attacks happen on, on roads that both Palestinians and uh, Israelis use. Um, because there it's 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 very hard to uh to maintain uh security and you have a lot of people out out in the open and obviously people use vehicles for their attacks in this case the uh there were obviously uh firearms involved um but yeah it, it, it's it, it's a dangerous reality you have a lot of despite living in different cities there's a lot of uh friction and a lot of I mean, a lot of these Palestinians they that, that turn to to violence. Um, it's it's easy for them. It it can be just taking a knife from the kitchen and going outside and stabbing somebody at a bus stop, or it can be something more planned, uh, like like this attack today. But but it's not difficult, and it's very hard to detect. I think there's a real threat coming out of this, also that you will see uh, revenge attacks. Um, take place against Palestinians who are not associated with terrorism. And already this year, earlier in 2018, there was recorded a a really high uh, spike in uh, price tag attacks, these attacks by more radical Israeli settlers, um, as compared with uh, previous year. So, you know, in response to this really brutal spate of terrorism from Palestinian extremists, um, you know, that in turn could be used as a pretext uh, by fundamentalists on the other side. Yeah, definitely. It's obviously a, a small, small group of very radical settlers that um, that do such things. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that has also been growing uh, also because of uh, the attacks from the Palestinian side, but also because uh, a lack of a serious crackdown from uh, from Israeli authorities in many uh, situations. I mean, you had uh, an instance where uh, one of the uh, there was a uh, a Jewish Arab school in in Jerusalem that was that was burnt down by arsonists, and you had the the perpetrator after being released from jail laughing about it on on Israeli TV. So you have these uh, situations that are uncomfortable. I mean, I should mention that that he, he was hosted on a it's a right-wing TV station, Channel 20, uh, but still absolutely uh, despicable. Um, but yeah, I think in general, this just shows how how dangerous a, a one-state reality uh, would look like, and I think it's why. Uh, right, th- uh, things are not things are not trending towards greater reconciliation. I mean, like we mentioned, there was the spike in, in Palestinian uh, instigated terrorist attacks, and and. As of April, there there have been 13 price tag attacks uh, since the beginning of 20, 2018, as opposed to eight in all of 2017. So, you know, combined with that rise in Palestinian terror, you have the rise in uh, 
terrorism instigated by settlers, things are not trending towards reconciliation and the conditions that would make a one-state reality may be desirable. So, so the uh, you know the looming possibility of annexation and and a one state you know is really not something a direction that we want to be heading in. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, these are definitely uh, the the more extreme Israeli population. Uh, I mean, they constitute uh, a decent amount of uh, of West Bank settlers, and obviously, uh, it is a, a the, the cycle is just a recipe for uh, for disaster and. Uh, I think it's particularly important um, that, uh, I mean, probably what happened for this government, but that uh, Israelis uh, realize that that their the future in the West Bank, with all this talk of of Area C annexation, um, it would only bring more of this, intensify the cycle, jeopardize. The security cooperation with the Palestinian Authority, and again, Area C is the the area uh, which it's about sixty percent of uh, the West Bank. It's the area where all Israeli settlers live, and between a hundred to three hundred thousand Palestinians, depending on who you ask, live. And there has been there have been proposals from the Israeli right to annex that sixty percent, which would essentially surround areas A and B and create 169 uh, kind of islands where all the major Palestinian uh, cities are located. Right. And we should clarify that 60% of West Bank land. So the right likes to make the case that it's 60% of the land, but most of the population lives in Palestinian population lives in areas A and B. But like you said, it, it would create all these disconnected territorial islands and close off the possibility of an independent Palestine, um, which would only further instigate and be used as a pretext for, um, you know, violent attacks and not to mention create a security nightmare for Israel. Yeah, I think the security nightmare is, is, is the key uh, uh, because that would really, uh, such a move would really jeopardize that security cooperation uh, that I mentioned earlier between the Palestinian security forces and uh, the IDF. And in, in that kind of scenario, you would have the IDF having to go in to actually control uh, these major Palestinian cities. And I mean, as like the second intifada taught us, uh, I mean, that would just be a complete uh, disaster, and that's why it's super important. And we talk a lot about it at at Israel Policy Forum. Um, that it's super important. We're not saying that the IDF should withdraw from the West Bank unilaterally. It's key that they stay there uh, until any uh, agreement is reached. But it's important that Israel take steps to separate uh, uh, from the Palestinians. Uh, so these things will become less likely, and Israel will have a better chance of, of preventing uh, such attacks. But, you know, it's not just on the Israeli side where things seem to be trending toward one state. It's also, you know, rising in popularity um, among Palestinians 
uh, Mohammed Dahlan, uh, former head of Palestinian Preventive Security Forces, um, who had been very close with the United States and with Israel, um, and you know was trying to position himself as a successor to the current Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, who's as we know very old, um, talking loosely about having one state uh, across all of Israel and the the occupied territories. So. Um, you know, that's that's someone who had been perceived as more of a mainstream, uh, you know, pro-U.S., uh, U.S.-affiliated or um, Israeli-affiliated figure. Yeah, Dahlan uh, is a, a, an interesting uh, player in the political, uh, the Palestinian political scene, obviously from from Gaza. Um, and he was the fa- the head of Fatah in, in, in Gaza as well until his uh, relationship with Abbas went uh, sour and now he's trying to uh, kind of through the Egyptians trying to, to rebuild himself as a a viable uh, uh, contender uh, in the Palestinian uh, leadership succession uh, debate um, and he, he, he mentioned that uh, if Israel doesn't want to give the Palestinians a state he said Israel's welcome to come and Take whatever land they want. Just make sure to give us uh, equal equal rights and voting rights to the Knesset. And between the uh, we both know between the Mediterranean Sea and and, and the Jordan River, uh, there is a slim Arab majority. So that would mean the end of Israel as as we know it. And uh, it's 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 a message that you'll hear more and more. I mean, Saeb Erekat. Uh, chief PLO negotiator ha- has said that as well, and uh, I mean that's the way to talk to uh, the, the Palestinian street because a lot of Palestinians have really given up on a two-state solution, and so I, I, the, these politicians aren't saying they want one state; they're saying that that if Israel wants to take the route toward one state, then then uh, right. Well, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna wait around, and I think that's a a big mistake in Israeli thinking and, and in some quarters in the United States, uh, this idea that the Palestinians will either resign themselves to uh, perpetually unequal status or that they're just going to wait around. Um. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, at the same time, I think right now it's more just uh, political uh, maneuvering and these aren't like serious, but, but, but this will only increase. And, I think uh, it will also start. Right, to it, sound, might, uh, it might some be, alarms for for Israel too. It might um, be posturing. It might be put. It is. It is political posturing. Not. It might be. It is political posturing on Dahlan's part. But the fact that he sees this as a a lucrative way to to gather support from the Palestinian public uh, that should be the disturbing part. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've seen. Uh, we've seen polls. The uh, the support for a two state solution or the feasibility of a two-state solution among young Palestinians is is super low. They don't see it as, as possible. Um, and so this is how uh, Palestinian uh, uh, leaders uh, need to talk. It would seem completely naive for him to say that Israel's interested in, in two states and we want to go in that direction. And uh, so it makes complete sense. Um, but it's a definite, uh, it's a warning call. And it, it uh, and we can only hope that Israeli uh, leaders and the Israeli public will, will see 
that this is really an indicative of, of the need to take those steps of of separation from the Palestinians that that we spoke about earlier. Yeah, and it's not just uh, it's not just among uh, Palestinians or Israelis who are skeptical. Um, there was also a poll that came out this week uh, from the University of Maryland, uh, showing that thirty five percent of Americans uh, support a one state solution, uh, behind just thirty six percent for two states. And two states had previously been the mainstream position in the United States. Uh, Israelis and Palestinians certainly are going to have to be the ones to create a solution for themselves. Um, but, you know, with the United States historically being the primary mediator, it certainly conceded some of that role under the Trump administration, but is definitely remains a central actor. Um, you know, these are the views that are going to color the next generation of policymakers. I and mean, there's been a lot of talk about three new Democratic congresswomen, and I don't think they're necessarily representative of the party as three people, but, um, you know, these, these views will continue to gain more stock. Yeah, it's, it's, it's dangerous. Um, I mean, uh, important, to, I'm not sure in that poll did they indicate, when they indicated a one-state solution, what did they, was, how is that, was it equal rights for all, or was it as... It, it, it's a it's a it's a democratic one state. So it's it's the the one state Palestine. It's it's not a Jewish state. It's not necessarily an Arab state, but it, it is essentially what the official line uh, for for many of Palestinian and Palestinian solidarity factions is, which is one one democratic, yeah. which is one democratic state. Yeah, and so obviously that's something that has almost no support in Israel, especially among Jews. Um, but the danger is that annexation will lead to a one-state scenario where Israel is not uh, a democracy. Um, and then international pressure combined with internal Palestinian pressure will will eventually change that. And then it's it, it just a, a big mess. So we'll... <laughs> I won't go into the the very details of how such a scenario uh, could look, but it just right. I, I, all I, the more imperative. Right, to, I, uh, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. But it, I mean, it, it bears mentioning that, that there's that there's a threat, even if Israelis don't support it, and they 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 would give up their sovereignty. Um, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't just give up their sovereignty. They, um, you know, it would be disastrous for them if in the United States this starts to get treated like an apartheid situation where, um, you know, even though the U.S. was late in switching sides against the South African government, it didn't help that uh, that relationship, um, that there was a real popular outrage against the uh, apartheid regime in South Africa and the racist government there. So um, if that's how Israel comes to be perceived in the United States... Um. Yeah, de yeah de definitely. I mean, I, I I wouldn't. I would press the panic button, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be all. I'm not that concerned that uh, annexation is is that imminent. I think uh, uh, Netanyahu. Uh, I'm obviously not the biggest fan of his, but I think he deserves credit for. Uh, blocking uh, all annexation initiatives to come out of his uh, party uh, to date, um, which is important. And uh, he's kind of kept uh, annexation to uh, 
I mean, it, 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 most of that talk about extinction comes from the Jewish Home Party, and then some of it comes from within his Likud Party. Uh, but a lot of that is just uh, MK is trying to solidify their uh, position in the next Likud primary because of the the power that the settlers have. Uh, he, he's uh, he's blocked he's primary. blocked initiatives, but he hasn't prevented it from becoming a, a mainstream topic on the Israeli right. Um, and I think that's that's just as dangerous. And, and the trends I'm talking about, uh, we're talking about decades down the line. Da- it's definitely not just as dangerous because he has prevented a lot of legislative. Uh, uh, bills from actually being that have that that, that different uh, lawmakers have tried to push through. Um, so, and he hasn't ever expressed support from it. And I think it's clear that he he sees annexation as something that is not in a danger to Israel. The question is, in a certain scenario, could he be dragged there politically? And I think that's. Uh, that's scary, and I think this is also uh, why uh, our uh, our partners uh, in Israel, uh, Commanders for Israel Security, uh, just uh, came out with a huge uh, public campaign calling for uh, uh, Netanyahu to, to divorce the Palestinians and warning uh, about the costs of annexation at the same time. Um, those costs uh, were reflected in a, a year-long study that was uh, done uh, in partnership with the uh, with Israel Policy Forum and uh, you can you can check those out uh, on our check that study out on our website as well uh, israelpolicyforum.org uh, slash annexation um, but Evan uh, what what did you think of the uh, the campaign so far um, you know I think it, I think it's been a really good campaign the the you know it has that clever uh, theme of uh, you know get a divorce from the Palestinians, but but going to my point, I think the fact that there is a campaign like this underscores the urgency of the problem, and and where I think we disagree slightly about when you know when I say that that Netanyahu uh, allowing this to become mainstreamed is just as dangerous. Um, obviously, it doesn't carry the immediate. Obviously, it doesn't carry the immediate weight of a piece of legislation that could be passed tomorrow, but we're, we're talking about trends that may take several years, even decades, to take shape in Israel, in the territories, in the United States. And so, you know, this is just laying the groundwork, and, and because Netanyahu's main concern seems to be his day-to-day political survival, he's not thinking in these terms. He's not thinking about what's the implication of what I'm doing today going to be uh, in, you know, 10, 15, 20 Years, um. yeah. yeah, no, I, I I agree with you, uh, Evan. Um, I think that despite what Netanyahu has done to block uh, the actual uh, legislation, uh, a a lot of uh, different things have happened under this government uh, because of the power that uh, the the, the far right wing have. Uh, Ayelet Shaked, Minister of Justice, uh, Naftali Bennett, Minister of Education. Um, so a lot of very problematic uh, uh, bills that have passed, changes to the to the High Court, uh, the Nation State Bill, things that kind of have set the groundwork for uh, 
for annexation in the future, and also a lot of legislation that has affected uh, Palestinians. I mean, you had a, uh, a bill that was passed um, that changes the Supreme Court, so it's no longer the court of first incidence for Palestinian appeals, that they have to go through the local Israeli district courts, like Israeli citizens, and, and Ayelet Shaked, justice minister, made the case, well, this is just leveling the playing field. Uh, she said they have more rights, Palestinians have more rights than Israelis, because they can go they have a more direct route to the Supreme Court when in reality, maybe that's the one thing they have over Israeli citizens. They're still stateless. They still can't vote in uh, Israeli elections. They still um, are sort of at the mercy of a, a military administration. Yeah, and, speak, and speaking about Ayala Chaked in particular, I mean, uh, her views are, are crystal clear. Uh, the, the, the commander's uh, campaign, uh, I mean, what, what the follow-up, on billboards around Israel was uh, for Israel's security uh, it's time to divorce the Palestinians and so there are pictures of different politicians uh, with with that line um, and Ayelet Shaked's face was on one of the, the ads and it said Ayelet for Israel's security uh, to divorce the Palestinians and she actually retweeted that on Twitter and said uh for Israel's security, let's annex Area C. So, I mean, her agenda is super clear. And as Minister of Justice, she has been doing a lot. She is very smart, and this is very thought through, and she's been doing a lot to really set the framework for what uh, the dangers of what another government uh, uh, like this uh, could do in the future. Right. So for, for, for clarity, for our listeners, when we say that Netanyahu has prevented annexation, he's, he's prevented a, an outright bill saying we're going to apply Israeli law to Area C. Um, he hasn't prevented the, these uh, incremental measures, which build up a, a framework and a, a legal regime uh, for which annexation would rest on. So, yeah, and, and also, it's important to say, on the one hand... Uh, uh, it's obviously a good thing that Netanyahu has prevented this. But on the other hand, it's kind of prevented uh, the idea of annexation from uh, and the concept from getting to the Israeli public. Most Israelis don't even know what annexation means. They obviously don't know the the, the ramifications of uh, annexation. So it's uh, that's why uh, what what the commanders are doing is is super important. So Evan, on so Evan, on a on a lighter note. Uh, my celebrity crush, Natalie Portman, said something about Israel, so I think it's appropriate that we, we, address, we address that. So uh, Natalie Portman, as, as some of our listeners probably recall, an accomplished actress and, and filmmaker in her own right, um, refused to accept the Genesis Prize, um, this uh, prize given to like notable, accomplished Jewish person. Um, because she would have to, you know, be on the same stage as Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister is typically part of the presentation. Um, and she stressed that it was over her objection to his government, not Israel as a state, you know, as an act of protest, you could compare it to the football players kneeling. And now she's come out and said she thinks the nation state law is racist. Yeah, it's a bit, a bit late, uh, in terms of, uh, responding to that very controversial piece of legislation that was passed, what was it, four months ago, I think? Something like uh, that. And by the way, you can hear about it on another episode of Israel Policy Pod, 
uh, Druze Blues, where we talked to uh, uh, Amal Assad, an accomplished Druze Israeli general, who led some of the protests against that law. Yes, uh, huge protests, uh, especially from uh, from the Druze uh, community. But um, yeah, was and, uh, uh, was Natalie Portman at those protests? So no, she she wasn't at the protests, and uh, this was. Uh, she said this on an interview given to a an Arabic daily newspaper that's based in London. Um, it's interesting that she decides to. I mean, I would. I know that she deeply cares about Israel, and I would invite her both as my celebrity crush and as somebody who who people uh, look up to uh, to talk more about Israel and that she's concerned about things that are happening here because I think it, it's important and it's too bad that. We only hear her uh, in the London-based Al Quds Al Arabi newspaper. I think she's. I think she can do better. Yeah, um, I, I agree with you that also that that she she should be speaking up more. Um, people respect her. People, you know, want to hear. Uh, they, they, I think the people. I think people care what she has to say. Sometimes people say they don't care what celebrities have to say, but I think she's um, understood as someone who is articulate and intelligent. And, uh, you know, it's a voice that people are interested in hearing. Um, you know, obviously there were some people after she came out who, who completely turned off to her. But I think when she came out about the Genesis Prize, it, it, it was a wake-up call for some people who, who may have been shocked or, or hurt that someone they looked up to they saw as, like, distancing from Israel, but... Um, when she clarified and explained her motivations, I think it, it, it really drew yeah, a lot def- of people yeah. in. Even no, I agree, and also because of who she is, um, it, it was not just like another extremist boycotting Israel. It was somebody who deeply cares about Israel and who just wanted to to make a statement, say, "I really love this country, but I'm I'm worried about things that are happening, and this is how I'm going to." Uh, raise, raise awareness uh, about that, and so right Pe- people well. know people know Natalie Portman is Israeli. They know um, her background. Exactly. Um, so yeah, let's hope we hear more from Natalie Portman about about uh, how much she cares about Israel and how she wants Israel to uh, to preserve its democratic and Jewish character. And we know that the best way to do that is a two-state solution. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, we'll we'll keep on looking out uh, for more people and uh, more people in prominent positions like that taking a stand for the two-state solution and for a Jewish and democratic and secure Israel. And you know, with that comes a strong U.S.-Israel relationship. Uh, so that's it for this episode of Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman, and I'm Eli Coaz. Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you next time. We won't see you next time. Thank we'll you guys you. for joining us. You'll we'll hear catch us you next. What? I, I was saying they. they w- I was saying they they won't see us. They'll they'll, they'll hear catch us. us. They'll catch us. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. For- Thanks, everybody, for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can learn more about Israel Policy Forum's work on our website, www.israelpolicyforum.org, 
and on our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Telegram. And you can learn more about the West Bank Annexation Study at israelpolicyforum.org forward slash annexation. And to Natalie Portman, if you're listening to the show, we'd be happy to have you on the podcast to talk about the nation-state law, West Bank annexation, or anything else related to Israel's Jewish, democratic, and secure future. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) 